Welcome to this episode of ClearedCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. First, a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast episode is brought to you by Amazon Web Services. Come support the mission in a bold new way with a career at AWS. Explore opportunities at amazon.jobs slash AWS. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of ClearedCast. My name is Katie Keller. I'm the Editorial Communications Manager with ClearanceJobs.com. And today I'm joined by founder and CEO from The Green Notebook, Joe Byerly. And Joe is a combat arms officer. He's a fellow with the Modern War Institute. He's been featured on Forbes and has a ton of insight on leadership and showcases that experience from The Green Notebook, which is a blog and a podcast. So I know that you created this project to provide a platform for people to help each other through lessons learned. Love the podcast so much. I love that it's a ton of different people from a ton of different backgrounds, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But Joe, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Katie, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Clearance Jobs, our audience, it's the security cleared workforce within national security, the intelligence community, and the DOD. You know, a lot of our folks that join our site, they are either veterans or are currently active duty, sort of embarking on the journey of networking and getting into this space and the civilian world. So could we start out with your military experience, your role in the army, maybe some successes or struggles sure, that you sure. dealt with? So I commissioned from the University of North Georgia in 2000, December of 2003 and commissioned as an armor officer. And so my background for the most part has uh, has been conventional, at least for the, the first 14 years. I've served as a, a platoon leader, a company commander, a battalion operations officer, battalion executive officer, and a little bit as a brigade executive officer, mostly in reconnaissance uh, organizations within the, in the big army. As far as uh, my deployment experience, I deployed to uh, Iraq twice, once during the surge, and then a second time a year and a half later, and then most recently, uh, I deployed to Afghanistan, which I just returned from earlier this year. That's kind of like my tactical experience. For the last three and a half years, I've served within the U.S. Special Operations Forces, uh, the SOCOM Enterprise. I've had a couple jobs with, within that, a lot of it uh, dealing with uh, writing and communication. I've taught a little bit as well in the Army. I, I taught a course on tactics about uh, eight years ago. It's uh, it's definitely been a, a varied experience um, throughout my career. And uh, I mean, we, we can dive in, into uh, to any of the lessons or we can talk about failures if that's, that's the direction you want to go. <laughs> I'm not sure which is more comfortable for you. I actually used to recruit for a few SOCOM missions. So love the guys and gals that support Special Operations Command. I guess maybe not successes or failures, but Maybe misconceptions. Uh, you know, you talk about a few deployments that you've been on. I feel like there are always misconceptions or myths that need to be busted when it comes to deployments. Like kind of one of the big ones, I, at least it, it's been my experience, is that you think that the hard stuff, you know, you see like the, the fight scenes on TV or the battle scenes on TV, and you think that's what it's like, it's going to be like, especially for like a 12 month deployment. And what you'll find is it's a lot of boringness, a lot of dullness, punctuated by these 
brief moment of, you know, something crazy happening. Like for me, I remember we hadn't really had any contact like the first two and a half months of my deployment, my first deployment. And then one night we were on a road and uh, we hit an IED and it just happened so fast. And I, I just remember afterwards, like continually playing over in my head, like what we could have done better. And so I, I think a big thing is just making sure you're always ready for the unexpected on deployments is one of the greater lessons I learned through it all. Sure. Setting your expectations, but realistic expectations, especially like with your story, I, you know, I, I know some folks that have experienced, which is, you know, pretty horrific, but I, I'm sure a ton of lessons learned there. So let's focus on successes. Let's focus on the good that you've learned through your military career. Yeah, I, I would say one, I remember in particular, I had an officer in my unit. And when I got to the unit was told that, you know, this particular officer, you know, wasn't doing that well, and that he was going to, uh, you know, he's going to be a problem for me. And so, you know, we had some issues from the get go. But but what I learned was like the importance of in that was importance of having like a tough conversation. And so we sat down together and said, Hey, here's here's how I perceive your actions. And, and as we got to talk, and as I got to know him a little bit better, I realized that he wasn't doing any of the bad stuff on purpose. He just, he hadn't been taught and he didn't realize what he was doing was being perceived in a negative light. And so, you know, through account performance counseling over the course of a couple months, I saw a vast improvement in him. And he actually turned out to be one of my better officers and actually helped me out a lot throughout that tour. I'd say a success is, you know, finding the people... And it's happened a couple of times where you've come into an organization and you've come across somebody who they say is, is not pulling their weight. And as you talk to them and get to know them a little bit better, you start figuring out what their strengths and weaknesses are and how they can best serve the organization and how the organization can best serve them. I guess in the teams that you've worked on or the folks that you've managed, do you think a lot of maybe leaders come to the table with some preconceived notions about people being malicious in their actions. And that's not necessarily the case, like, you know, in this sort of success story. Yeah, that that's, that's one of the things I've learned. And I, I didn't learn this when I was in my 20s, early 30s. Like, this is something I, I've just learned recently. We all tell stories, you know, with events. And so even, you know, something as simple as an email, all of a sudden in your head, you're, you're putting a background story to that person's intent, writing the email or, you know, like why they really re reaching out to you. And, you know, sometimes they're, they're just not true. A lot of the times those stories are told through our own perceptions and the own, our own baggage, you know, that we bring to our organizations. And so I've just, I've learned a lot about the importance of having direct conversations with folks which is something I don't think we do enough of. And, and when we don't do that, then we fill the gaps in with stories that, uh, that may or may not be true. That's true. I mean, you mentioned, you know, folks have their own baggage, but one of my favorite sayings is assumptions only make an ass out of you and me. I mean, I think that people don't have that at the forefront of their brain when it comes to working with teams all the time. Because like you said, folks are filling in the gaps with these stories that they made assumptions about or made up and having those direct conversations and those honest conversations. I mean, whether in the military or a professional environment, or even in, in your personal relationships, like you yeah, said, and that, just don't that's, do a, that's like a great segue to like one of the things that I love about from the green notebook, Katie, is that the, one of the things that we promote at the website is, is reading, writing and reflection. 
you know, when you come into an organization, you come, especially if you're a leader of that organization, you come with, with the background experiences that you have. So, for example, when I was a lieutenant in the Army, the way I view leadership was through the lenses of like my teachers, my coaches, my parents. And, and that was the, the type of leadership I brought with me. And then like as you go up in, in rank and position, whether in the military or civilian side, you start either a- adopting the, some of the, the leadership styles that you see or you know you start shaping yours based off what you don't want to be, what, what you see. And I think that one of the benefits of reading is that you learn about all these different approaches and techniques. You learn about empathy and you really start getting outside yourself and are able to bring in kind of more tools to your leadership position through reading. And so that thing I was telling you about stories, like it's something I picked up through reading books, you know, and, um, and it's, it's like just one of the many skills that I've been able to develop and hone over the years that I gained through a personal investment in reading. Sure. One of my sort of policies and operating again, professional or personally, I feel like especially during COVID-19, all these lines are blurred, but diversifying your perspectives only makes you a, a better teammate, a better leader, a better mentor. But I know that you've talked about mentors that you've had in the past who encouraged you to do this reading and writing. I know that you have published articles in many, many places. If you could talk a little bit about the importance of mentoring and maybe some of your favorite mentors. If you sure, Katie. I, I think mentorship is so important. It's that one-on-one relationship that, that really makes the difference. One of the biggest things that, that I think for me is that a lot of the things that, that my mentors ha- have done for me is show me kind of the way they've role modeled things that have become important to me. But it wasn't that they told me to do them, is that they role modeled those habits and then, and then I adopted them. And the other piece of it is, is a lot of times like we have faults, we have blind spots that our friends or you know colleagues won't even tell us about. And so we're walking around with these blind spots and, and they really do affect our leadership as a result of that. Like we're not being the best version of ourselves. So I think a really good mentor is someone who says, hey, this is what you're doing and, uh, and you need to stop it. Or like, have you thought about doing this differently? And so that's one of the benefits of mentoring that I think are important. Some of my favorites, some of the people who've had a huge impact on me personally and professionally, one was my first company commander, Lewis Netherland. When I came in the army, just based off my background, you know, like I was, like my favorite restaurant, Katie, was Applebee's. Red Lobster was like <laughs> fine dining to me. And when I did go to Applebee's or Red Lobster, I was always getting the same thing on the menu every time. And so he just really exposed me to expand my palate a little bit with different meal choices. And he even was like, hey, like, you know, you need to be well-rounded as an officer. And so, you know, we took our spouses out to an off-Broadway musical one time. And, you know, that's just something you don't, you know, like the cultural, the arts aspect is not something you think that would be important, you know, for the military. But I think it's very important just to be very well-rounded as an officer. So he was important and he really stressed the importance of reading and the importance of writing for professionally. Another one was H.R. McMaster. And he was, uh, at the time I worked for him, he was a, a major general Every Monday, he would come in and he would just be like, hey, man, did you read? And he would list off these books. And he would just get so excited talking about these books that that I would go home every evening and add these to my Amazon wish list or order them. It was just those conversations about reading. And then I got to see him publish op-eds in the New York Times and stuff. And he did it all the time. And he kept his feet planted in the, in the tactical 
army as well. And so I was very, I was just very impressed by that and, you know, saw that as something to aspire to. It, another one that, that really stands out is, uh, is General Scott Miller, who was my recent boss in Afghanistan. And, you know, I just got to watch him lead uh, the war effort over there, how he communicated to his leaders, how he communicated up his chain of command. I learned more from him in the nine months we spent together in Afghanistan than, than I did years in the military. So those are a couple of my favorites. But again, I, I can't stress the importance of investing in one person as a mentor because you just never know you know, where that'll lead. Because I, I guarantee you that Lewis Netherland or H.R. McMaster you know, never thought that by encouraging me to read and write and role modeling those behaviors that from the green notebook would would be around seven years later. Sure. Well, and, you know, McMaster talking about, you know, writing these op-eds for these large publications, but still sticking to your roots in the in the tactical work that you're doing. When you are speaking those words about a leader or a mentor that has moved you or inspired you in those ways, I throw my hands up in the air when we still run into these toxic leaders, which unless you want to get into it, I'm not saying that we have to, but you have these great leaders that set such a great example, you know, for the folks that they're leading and, you know, even up and coming leaders. It, it just boggles my mind that we still have these toxic leaders, you know, in any industry, but I still don't understand why it happens when we have great yeah, leaders like I, the ones I, that you're I don't know. About. And I've actually wrestled with that a little bit too, because, you know, th there have been leaders who I've just hated going, you know, I just haven't enjoyed working for and, you know, just made getting up in the morning that much harder. But at the same time, like I learned a lot from them. Like I learned skills that I needed to be successful later in my career. And I also got to see what I didn't want to be as a leader. And so I became that much more passionate about being the person I am today. I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like there's good and bad in everything. You know, you know, these people, obviously they, they make life hard for subordinates. But I, I guess just because of my outlook on life, I just try to find the positive. Now that's easy for me to say years removed from these people. But yeah, and at the time, <laughs> this would have been a totally different interview, Katie. Well, absolutely, Joe. And you're totally right. Having that positive outlook, what not to do as a leader, or, you know, again, even as a good teammate for anyone who's listening, who's not necessarily a leader, but even being a good teammate, you're learning what not to do. And that is something that folks should keep at the forefront of their mind. And especially when you're in that situation, it is really hard to go to work or, you know, go to your role and support the mission when you don't have a great relationship or it's a very toxic environment with your boss. But it, it is important to think about it positively. And that's an excellent point. And I really appreciate that. Kind of moving on to uh, from the green notebook. Let, let, let's dish about that. So the podcast actually started out as strictly a blog, if I'm, if I'm correct. And you've published a ton, but so I guess talking about writing, I know that you've touched on it a little bit. What do you think that it could really do for others? Maybe who have been like, you know, scared of writing or they don't feel like they have the skill set or they're just like, where the heck do I start? Would you have any oh, advice man, Katie, on that? Yeah, I, I love this. I love this question because, uh, you know, it was something I was very ap like apprehensive about when I started it. You know, like a lot of people see the blog now and it really has become a staple of professional development in the military. And they're like, oh, well, that's, you know, 
whatever, you know, Joe's intentions were when he was doing that. But like, I was scared to death when I, when I hit publish, I imagine it's like you on this podcast, like your very first episode, totally nervous, (laughs) but I found that in writing, I was able to understand my thoughts a lot better. And there's a a quote from Ian Forrester that we use in the opening of the podcast. And we use, I've written in several of uh, articles about writing, but it's how do I know what I think till I see what I say? And what what I've realized over the years is that we have a lot of thoughts just kind of swirling around in our head, and we, and we think we understand them, but until we see them on a piece of paper or we hear them come back to us in a, in a podcast or or you know in a voice recording, whatever, we we really don't know like what we're truly thinking and. There's been several times where I've had like a great idea, like this would make a great article because of A, B, and C. And then as I started writing and saw the ideas on a piece of paper in front of me, I was like, oh, that's a terrible idea. It's not something that, that we that we really think about because again, you know, we're like, ah, oh, well, we have a thought in our head and we were just like, this is this will work. Even if you don't want to publish, just writing something down in a journal or a notebook just helps your your thoughts become clear. And even looking back in history, you know, like Eisenhower prior to the D-Day landings, I mean, he sat down and wrote out basically the pros and cons of going through with the operation. And what it did is it allowed him to realize this was exactly what the allies needed to do to advance to the next stage of the war. And so, you know, he's just one example, Marcus Aurelius, emperor of Rome, and and we still read his meditations today. He was a commander serving in the front of the Roman legion, uh, you know, while he was while he was emperor. And, you know, there's a plague going on, there's fighting going on. And he would just go back to his tent every night and just kind of write little notes to himself to help him think through a lot of the problems he was facing. And not like tactical or operational problems, but even like just leading people and, you know, dealing with feedback. And and 2000 years later, like his meditations are still influencing leaders today. Again, like I, I cannot emphasize enough how important, you know, reflecting and writing your thoughts down is. And then with the publishing piece of it, I mean, just getting an idea out there, like you just never know who it's going to influence. And that's been the coolest part about the blog is over the years, I've gotten emails from leaders from all over the world, either asking for advice or something I wrote, just, you know, working through some thoughts on performance counseling, how it completely changed the way that that they interact with their subordinates. And so you just, when you write stuff down and when you write stuff down and publish it, you never know who's going to read it and how it's going to affect them. Absolutely. I mean, certainly strengthens your sense of community once you do gain that confidence to publish something or send it to someone. Like you said, getting your thoughts out it allows you to think a little more clearly through your thoughts and reflect. I also find for myself, whenever I write thoughts down, it allows for more thoughts to come up in my head, which is nice. You know, you're getting those thoughts out on paper and giving a little more, more room for your brain to think some higher level thinking. But the blog, it, you know, transformed into this wonderful podcast, I believe that started last fall, and you're already in your second season, which is pretty exciting. It's a little bit strange right now being a podcast guest when you're used to being a host. It, it is, it is, because, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm in the, hot, in the seat, hot seat. And then the way we do this show is I run it with uh, Jacob Gronsky. And so we do a lot of prep together before we walk into the show. 
And then like, if one of us is not having a, a good day or whatever, we can just, you know, hand the question off to, to the other one. And so I, I don't have that luxury right now, Katie. <laughs> well, I love to wing it and you're doing pretty great. But so fr- from the green notebook, though, you guys have been pretty successful. I know that you have a ton of views on your blog. You have a ton of listens. I, I believe for the blog, you're going on seven or eight years now. You have a pretty substantial subscribe list. Tell us how from the Green Notebook podcast even came it, to it's, fruition. It's really a crazy story. I mean, it, I don't know if it's crazy, but it's like kind of like that fate thing happening. So I just got back from Afghanistan and my buddy Jacob, who we've been friends for years, you know, he was like, hey, man, just just come on over and we'll just hang out, have a beer. And so we were just kind of having, I don't know, like a heart to heart discussion or something. And he goes, I got to share something with you. He goes, this sounds crazy. He's like, please don't judge me. Um, and he said, I bought all this recording equipment because I want to get into Audible and I want to like, I want to read books. And I was like, oh, that's cool, man. And, and then like, you know, I just heard him out, like what he wanted to do. And then that was, that was the end of it. And then flash forward, like three, four months later, I was a drink. I, I think there's a theme here, Katie. It has to do with beer. Yeah. So, so I was having a beer with, with, with an entrepreneur and he's like, Hey, the next step for you is a podcast. And I was like, I'll never do it. And he goes, you have to, he's like, it's, it's, it's the natural progression of from the green notebook. And so because I had, I had a drink, I, I immediately, a uh, couple of drinks, uh, I immediately called Jacob and said, Hey, I have an idea. I know how you can get a portfolio. You know, for, so that one day you can eventually get an audible. I go, why don't you do this podcast? Like you could, you could just read posts for, for the, for, that are from the blog and like an audible version of blog post. And then like, we'll occasionally do an interview. So then we agreed like for the first episode, why doesn't he interview me? And we can talk about like the genesis of the blog and, and reading and writing. And then people listen to it and we're like, Hey, like this is like, you guys have a really good chemistry. And so next thing you know, like we're like, 12 episodes in and it, it's just, it's been an awesome experience. I'm definitely, I don't know about you, Katie, but I'm definitely not comfortable recording my voice. I'd, I'd rather just write about it. Um, but, but it's been, I don't listen to my voice after the fact, Joe, I just record these great, things and great. send it's them out the know. door. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing because Jacob and I are from two different backgrounds. I'm a huge nerd. I read all the time. Jacob's a huge music lover like he loves, he loves sports. He loves movies, and so we just bring like two unique perspectives uh, to the show. And then he has an ear for stuff that I don't even, I can't even listen to. Like he, he has this uncanny ability to like edit out a fly buzzing in a podcast uh, episode because he can hear it and I, I can't even hear it. So he's not only like the the co-host, the host. But he also does all the editing for the podcast, and so it's just, uh, it's just been an amazing journey for the last like six months. And I love to hear that you both are like yin and yang and coming together to put together this really awesome podcast. But what I really love about your guys's podcast is the fact that you're talking with so many different people with really great perspectives. So you and your co-host Jacob, you chat about different lessons from amazing people. So I had to ask, tell us some of your favorite podcast episodes that we can highlight. Wes Schultz, he's the lead singer of the Lumineers. And we just, I, uh, like, if, if that's one of my favorite ones because it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't even a podcast episode. It was three people sitting around and having a conversation. 
And we talked about everything from Wes's failures to, you know, his family's struggles with addiction with his mother-in-law. And so it was just a very powerful episode. And everybody that I talked to about that particular episode has just, you know, pulled some lesson that I wasn't even thinking about when they when they listened to it. So that's that's one of my favorites. Um, another one of my favorites was Adam Robinson. Adam Robinson was the co-founder of the Princeton Review and was Bobby Fischer. I don't know if you remember hearing that name, Bobby Fischer, the chess player, chess champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was Bobby Fischer's like chess yes, partner yes. in the eighties, and so. He just has like this unique outlook on life. And while, while we were listening to him, it was, we recorded for two hours. I just learned so much from Adam about like being in the moment and giving somebody your full attention. It, it was just, again, like it was just a, a phenomenal episode. I could see her all day. But uh, like another one is General Votel, former CENTCOM commander, because we talked about what went through his mind when when the president of the United States made the call to immediately withdraw troops from Syria and how he reacted. So it was a very, you know, it was a very personal interview with with him, you know, and he he talked about stuff that he hasn't talked about anywhere else. So those are just kind of the the top three off the top of my head. So um, it's, again, it's it's just been awesome. And I'm really excited about, you know, some of our guests that we have lined up for the rest of the season. Wonderful. And I'm certainly excited to listen in and tune into those episodes. We touched on how much you love reading. I was wondering if you had a top reading list, maybe three books that you think everyone listening right now needs to go out and buy and read. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll just say three that have really just stood out to me in the last couple of years. The first one is Atomic Habits uh, by James Clear. And, and the reason why I think this book is so important is that like, um, you know, he basically says that time can either be our enemy or our ally. And that it's what we do at that time that determines good or friend or foe. And so he just, his approach to habits is just amazing. And it's, it's how I've adopted, you know, my, my fitness routine, my writing routine and everything is kind of, kind of based off that book. Another one is, is the last place on earth by Roland Hunsford. And it's a, it's a book about a, uh, a, a, uh, two expeditions in 1911 that set off to be the first to, to reach the South Pole. And it's a, it's a great comparative story between two different leaders. One person who is very invested in polar exploration and learning all he could about it. And the other one who is just doing it for the sake of promotion. And so one, one guy's team makes it and the other guy's team doesn't and everybody actually dies. And so the book is based off newspaper clippings and journal entries that, that the, um, that they found from both the surviving members and the the members that did that perished in that expedition, and then uh, a third one I would say that that really uh, stands out to me is the War of Art by by Stephen Pressfield, and it's just a really great book about you know that creative side of all of us that we just kind of push away as we get older about bringing that to the surface and about investing in that and and not being scared, like not being scared to do your podcast, Katie, or not being scared to write an article or publish a blog post. So those, those are three off the top of my head. Carpe diem, seize the day, folks. And you know, what I love about this entire discussion, Joe, is the fact that you can apply all of these things to every facet of your life. I I mean, obviously, we're a professional podcast, but all of these values or the pieces of advice, these key pieces of advice, you can certainly apply to every 
facet of life. But uh, so closing thoughts, my friend, what do you believe is the secret sauce to being a great leader, a writer, a professional, or all of the above? (laughs) Like nothing, (laughs) nothing comes natural. Like you have to work at it. You have to be deliberate. Like you have to be intentional. So if you want to be, if you want to improve your, your empathy abilities, like you have to pay attention and be in the moment when people are talking. If you want to be a better writer, you have to be deliberate. You have to write. If you want to be a better communicator, you have to be deliberate in the words you're saying. And so I, I think that's the that's like the key word to uh to it all. All right. Be deliberate. Sorry, I'm just writing down some notes yeah, for myself. <laughs> so I lied. It's COVID nineteen. I haven't traveled. I'm not sure if you have a favorite place that you were stationed here on planet earth and you want to share it with us and why. Um, I'd say where I'm at right now, like I'm in a, uh, I'm in a community near Fort Bragg that, uh, that everybody's extremely close. Everybody's extremely supportive. And uh, I don't know, like people that come here say it's like a throwback to a time where like it was safe for the kids to just run out and play in the street. And you you didn't have to worry about anything bad happening to them. And so, and that's been really important, especially with COVID. Like even though like we do our best to socially distance, still having a sense of community is 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 what's got us through this. Well, and that sense of community you can certainly find through podcasts. So, uh, Joe, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to hop on here with me today, and I thank everybody else for tuning in to this episode of Cleared from the Green Notebook. You got to check it out. You got to check out the blog. You got to check out the podcast. It's from the Green Notebook This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cleared Cast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.